I want you to turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Follow along on the, the screen if you'd like. Verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone's never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James is zeroing in on the words that we use, and words matter more than we, more than we know. And teachers, like me, use many words. In verses 3 through 8, James is going to point out that words are powerful and that they are potentially destructive, but in these first two verses, he is echoing Jesus again. He reminds us that God will judge us by our words. And he issues a warning to would-be teachers. The NIV paraphrases it this way, we who teach will be judged more strictly. I don't think that quite gets to the heart of it. I don't think James is saying that God will judge teachers with a different set of criteria, as if he has one standard for teachers, has another standard for everyone else. But since words provide a basis for judgment, and teachers have a great output of words, they will have a greater judgment, which is a literal translation of the Greek text. That said, even people who are not teachers have a great output of words. Someone's figured out how many words the average American will speak in his lifetime. They suggest 860 million words spoken over a lifetime. The teacher will speak more. If we will be judged by our words, and Jesus solemnly taught that we will be, the teacher will receive a greater judgment. Jesus said, I tell you that everyone will give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why is that? By our words? It's because 
Our words reveal who we are. Your words reveal who you are. The social psychologist James Pennebaker spent years researching the significance of words. With a team of grad students, he developed a sophisticated computer program that analyzes what our words say about it, us. According to him, according to Pennebaker, words that we generate over a lifetime are like a fingerprint. Even small words, what he calls stealth words, like pronouns, I, you, they, we, and prepositions, to, for, over, broadcast the kind of people we are. Our words show who we are and they show who we're not. A teacher who speaks of grace better be gracious. A preacher who exposits the Lord's Prayer better pray. The one who teaches us to forgive had better not condemn. Does the teacher's life match his words? He or she will be judged by them. But the same is true for all the rest of us. Does our life match our words? Do our words at church match our words at home and our words at work? James is talking to all of us. He starts with teachers because he himself is a teacher and it's easier for people to receive a hard word if the speaker includes himself. Notice in verse 2 he says, we all stumble in many ways. And so he includes both himself, we, and his readers all. We all stumble in many ways. He says that if anyone doesn't stumble in what he or she says, that person is perfect. Now, he doesn't mean that that person is sinless, okay? But that he or she is the complete package. Keep in mind the key verse to this whole letter is chapter 1, verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The word mature there is the same one that we have in this verse translated perfect. We can't become mature. We can't become complete if the way we use words remains unchanged. Gossip, judgmental words, angry words, boastful words, even in the use of pronouns and prepositions, manipulative words, deceitful words, they all reveal that we haven't been completed yet. Now, in verses 3 through 5, James stresses how powerful words are. This is where we learn why we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. His point, at least in verses 3 and 4, verse 5 is kind of a bridge verse that carries us into the next idea. But his point is that little words have giant effects, or they can. I've known people whose entire course of their life, for good or bad, was set by a few words from a parent. Sometimes the effect is good. I think I'm a preacher because of brief comments made by two people that I respect. If it hadn't been for those two people, probably I wouldn't be a preacher and you and I never would have met. One of the, the best examples in my mind of the power of words comes from the 1936 Olympic Games that were held in Berlin just a few years before the beginning of World War II. Jesse Owens, if you're older, you know the name. Jesse Owens was an African-American. Um, he, he seemed a sure bet to win the long jump. The previous year, he had set 
three world records in one day in the long jump. As he walked to the long jump pit, he was watching a tall, blue-eyed, blonde German taking practice jumps in the 26-foot range. Owens was, was aware, painfully aware, of the tension that his presence caused at the games. The Nazis were determined to use the games to prove Aryan superiority, and they intended to do it by beating him. He was trying to jump, the long jump, with the weight of the world on his shoulders. On his first jump, he was so nervous that he went several inches beyond the takeoff line before he jumped. And so that, was, he, that jump was disqualified. He was so rattled that he missed the first jump that he missed the second jump as well. And he only had one more jump. And if he fouled, he was out of that competition. As he's looking at that runway, thinking about what he's going to do next, the tall German guy walks over to him and introduced himself. He said his name was Lutz Long. And this guy, this tall, blonde, blue-eyed model of Aryan superiority, stood there chatting with a black man in view of the whole stadium. And what he said, this is the remarkable part, he stood there chatting to him and he said, look, you only need 23 feet, five and a half inches to qualify, so why don't you make a mark several inches before the takeoff line? And then you'll qualify. So Jesse took his advice, he qualified, in the jump, he set an Olympic record and earned the second of four gold medals that he won at those Olympics. And the first person to come over and congratulate him was Lutz Long. In full view of Adolf Hitler. Jesse Owens never got the chance to see him again. Lutz Long was killed in the war. But Jesse later said, you could melt down all the medals and cups I have, and they wouldn't be plating on the 24-karat gold friendship I felt for Lutz Long. The power of words. They have great power to build people up <clears throat> and great power to tear people down, which some of you know all too well. <clears throat> James makes this point at the end of verse 5 that bridge verse and into verse 6. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. As a pastor, I've talked with people, some, some of them in their later years, whose entire lives were damaged by a word from a parent when they were just children. The whole course of their life, as verse 6 puts it, was set on fire by a word. Stupid. Lazy. Can't you do anything right? You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be like your brother? What's the matter with you? According to neuroscientists, the body responds to a single negative word by releasing neurotransmitters and stress-producing hormones that immediately interrupt the functioning of the brain. Scientists have produced this effect just by flashing the word no for one second before a test subject during brain scans. And they've reproduced it over and over again. 
Jesus understood how that works. He understood how people are wired. And so he warned us in the strongest language possible to avoid condemning and contemptuous speech. Marriages have been ended, children's lives derailed, churches crippled. War started by a word and by the way it was said. Churches have been derailed. I know some of them. See, the thing about words is that they ricochet. They hurt people they were never intended to reach. Watch this video. To an experiment for a television show turned into a close call for a family in the East Bay. KTV's Tara Moriarty joins us now from Dublin, where a cannonball went right through a house. Tara? Well, the show Mythbusters has some explaining to do. We put in a couple calls this morning, but haven't heard back yet. But they were doing an experiment with a homemade cannonball over in those hills. You see that in the distance? The cannonball flew hundreds of yards all the way through the air where it landed over here on the driveway where you can see this uh, chip cement. Then it blasted through the front door. Uh, the intended target was actually some water, but it missed and then bounced around this neighborhood like a pinball. The cannonball skipped off a hillside, soared 700 yards into the Tassajara Creek neighborhood. It bounced in front of a home on Casada Place, chipping the cement driveway. It tore through the front door, raced up a flight of stairs, whipped through a bedroom where a man, woman, and child were sleeping, and then it blasted through the home's stucco, crossed six lanes of Tassajara Road, smashed the roof of a house on Bellevue Circle, and finally lodged itself into a minivan parked in a driveway on Springville Drive. If you're not familiar with the show. Words are like that. I didn't mean it. I wasn't even talking to him. But words ricochet. A contemptuous word spoken to your children may damage your grandchildren and other people's grandchildren a generation from now. Your words. And Jesus said, you'll be judged by them. In verses 7 and 8, James makes his next point. The tongue can't be tamed. So it's so powerful. It can do so much damage, and it can't be tamed. Humans have tamed every kind of animal, James says, but no one has ever yet tamed his own tongue. So where does that leave us? If the tongue is as powerful as James and neuroscience claim, if a few thoughtless words can set the whole course of a person's life on fire from childhood to old age, if the very church of Jesus Christ can be hobbled by words, and finally, if no one, not even the greatest saint, can tame the tongue, does that mean our situation is hopeless? That leads us to verses 9 through 12 where James again shares something that he learned from Jesus. He's always echoing Jesus. Humans were made in such a way that the controls for the tongue are not located in the tongue. They're not even located in the brain, but in the heart. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, what does that mean? It means that while no one can tame the tongue, a person can change what comes out of his or her mouth 
by changing what goes into his or her heart. You can't tame the tongue. But God can transform the heart as you cooperate with him. As your heart changes, your words will change. Your pronouns will change. Even your prepositions will change. You tried so hard to stop gossiping, you couldn't do it. But as your heart changes, your tongue changes and you stop gossiping. You got in the habit of using profanity when you were young. And you know what? Verbal habits are some of the most deeply entrenched habits a person can have. And you've never been able to stop swearing. You've given up trying, except when you're at church or I'm around. But going through spiritual transformation would change that. The point of verses 11 and 12 is that what comes out was previously in. It has to be. What comes out of the spring, James is talking about, was previously in the ground below. What comes out of the tree was previously inside the tree. And what comes out of your mouth was previously in your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to change what comes out, you must change what's on the inside. As Jesus put it, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. But you can't make good fruit come out of a bad tree. I've read that the state of Florida has 900 freshwater springs which might be the highest concentration of freshwater springs anywhere in the world. But in recent years, many of these springs have been polluted by runoff. So volunteers clean up the pools formed by the springs, but unless they're able to change what's happening in the aquifers below, they'll quickly be polluted again. Polluted, by the way, is how the NIV translated the word corrupts in verse 6 when it was used back in chapter 1. The pollution of the tongue doesn't start with the tongue. And therefore, it can't be eradicated there either. When a cancer metastasizes, it frequently metastasizes to the liver. And doctors occasionally know they have to treat the liver, but they know that won't solve the problem. Because that's not where it started. It's a systemic problem and needs to be dealt with as a systemic problem. Likewise with spiritual cancers, they frequently metastasize to the tongue. Swearing, boasting, talking too much, trying to defeat people with words, lying, condemning, manipulating, trying to get people to do what you want without saying it with words. Those things don't start in the tongue, but they always show up there. You know, you could cut your tongue out. The spiritual cancer would still thrive somewhere else in your person, in your mind, in your heart, your soul, your relationships. So what do we do? We're going to be judged by our words. We can't tame the tongue. The heart needs to change. What do we do? We go to the doctor, the one called the great physician, and put ourselves under his care. This is a matter of life or death, because remember, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Put yourself under his care, follow his instructions to the T, even when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He's trying to save you. He's the savior, and he knows 
what he's doing and how to do it. All right, let me wrap this up. The tongue is extraordinarily powerful. It can be used for good, and it can be used for bad. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Stop using it for bad. And instead, use it for good. One good thing the tongue can do is set your, your life going in the right direction. Use your words to direct your life. The Proverbs is full of this. Words direct life. For example, a high school student can say, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a missionary. Those are life-directing words. We can all say, I'm going to be brave. I'll stop sinning in this way. I will show love and kindness to this person or this group of people. I'll learn from Jesus and do what he says. These are life-directing words. Say them to God. Say them to yourself. Say them to at least one confidant. This is what I'm going to do. You can change the course of your life, by which I mean you can cooperate with God in changing the course of your life, and part of that will involve the words that you use. See, it's not too late to, to undo it, or at least to reduce damage done by words. And I know in a group this size, we have done some damage by our words. It's not too late to at least reduce that damage. Use your tongue to do good, to humble yourself, to ask forgiveness, to speak words of grace and blessing. Your tongue is powerful. Start using it to do good. And start with those with whom you've used it to do bad. All right, let's pray. Would you bring to mind, Lord, words that we have spoken that have hurt, that have damaged people, And give us words to take, to seek forgiveness and to humble ourselves. Lord, especially with our children. Would you bring to mind words that we're using now that are not helping but are hurting so that we can confess that and be rid of them? Lord, we have a lot to learn about this. Would you be our teacher? Lord, if one of us is here who really needs to hear this and do something about it, would you make this strike home? Please do this for the name and for the cause of Jesus.